The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Um, guys, we are so blessed here at Tower View. I, you know, I made mention in the prayer at the baptism, we've had 14 in this last year. Wow. Um, guys, that is, a, that is not only an encouragement to us, that is, that's a blessing of the Lord. God has blessed us across all things. And uh, if you have any prayers this week for Tower View, thank the Lord on our behalf. Thank the Lord for his faithfulness to us. Thank the Lord for his grace to us. God is so good. Amen. He is so, so good to us. Thank you for your prayers and your faithfulness as well. Psalm 134. You know, I know it's not basketball season, well, it sort of is, but uh, this is going to be a throwback to my era, which was the Michael Jordan era. But uh, if anyone can tell me who this other guy is next to him, I'll give you a big high five. Who is this guy? Who is it, John? It's Hakeem Olajuwon. There's always one in the crowd. John, thank you for being that guy today. Uh, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon was one of the biggest, best centers that ever played the game. He stood up well over seven feet. His wingspan was so big, he could hug almost his whole congregation at one time. He was that big. And during Michael Jordan's career, you may remember almost 20 years ago, he took a break from basketball. He had won so much basketball, he decided to play baseball. Do you remember that? Uh, the Royals almost hired him because they were that desperate back then. That, uh, But no, he played for a couple years. And when Michael Jordan took a break, Hakeem Olajuwon and the Houston Rockets took over. In 1994 and 1995, they dominated the NBA because of his leadership and his wingspan. And he was called the dream. He, Hakeem Olajuwon, who's there on the, uh, holding the basketball, not the small guy, but the big guy, was named to 12 All-Star Games. He was named as a Hall of Famer and was one of the 50 greatest players ever to play the game. And in a recent interview, a very interesting interview with Roy Firestone, Olajuwon was asked to talk about his incredible work ethic. Because at seven feet, you think it's easy, right? The, the rim's nine, ten feet. You just kind of lift it in. It's a lot of work. And so he had to constantly work at it, even as a big guy. And people were always amazed how, even though he was so big, he hustled. You know, I, I was at the Royals game on Wednesday, and if you remember that game, you saw the score to that game. It was like 10 nothing in the first inning. And I love our boys in blue, but they were kind of lackadaisical at a while. They were kind of just jogging into first and this sort of thing. No matter what Hakeem Olajuwon faced, he was always known for his work ethic. And that question was asked, why did you work so hard? This was his answer. He said, Roy, you need to know something. When I go into the hardwood, I'm not going to work. I'm going to worship. How dare I not give back to God what he has given to me with joy and thanksgiving? No, I don't go to work, Roy. I go to worship. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? But here's a little twist to that, and you may have caught it from his name particularly. Hakeem Olajuwon is a Muslim, a very devout Muslim, with a concept that every Christian should take to heart. Sometimes does our passionate worship encompass everything we do. Let me be very clear. We do not worship the same God as the Muslims, right? We do not. There's so many differences. But I was challenged by that. Challenged by a man who believes a false thing, who when he got on that basketball court, even though he could probably beat everyone, even in his older age, he said, I go to worship on a basketball court. That's crazy, isn't it? 
Friend, I wonder how many times in our lives we come and we think worship is what we're just doing right now, that if we didn't go to worship on Sunday, then I've missed worship. Look, when it comes to worshiping, Olajuwon is right in this sense. He's not right about Christianity. He needs to know Christ. Pray for him. But he did get this right, that wherever he goes is a place where he can honor God. And if he's honoring a false God, how much more should we honor the God? And that's what we're here to do today. We're in a series right now called What is Worship? And how do we do this practically? How do we worship practically? And that's why we're in the book of Psalms. You know, I told you last week we came up with these creative titles, uh, Psalms or Palms Full of Psalms and Worship and all this, these crazy things. But really the answer we want to ask today is what is worship? What is worship? Can you worship God playing basketball? Can you worship God dunking someone in a baptismal? Can you worship God going to a Royals game? Can you worship God changing a dirty diaper? Amen. Yes, you can. Been there, done that. What does Jesus say? He says this in John 4, 24. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So when our friend, Akeem Olajuwon, says, I'm going to worship, we know that his worship will not be acceptable to God because he hasn't gone through the truth. Who is the truth? The truth is Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? John 14, 6. I am the way. If you know it, say it with me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yet, friends, people worship all the time. Go to Arrowhead Stadium on any given Sunday in the fall, and people are worshiping something, aren't they? They're worshiping, hopefully, that their team will pull out a victory and hopefully get another playoff win this year and hopefully beat those, those patriots. I'll just say that. But it's a strange day we live in. We live in a day when praise is in and worship is out, where choruses are in and hymns are out, where feelings are in and facts are out, where melodies are in and the message is out, where happiness is in and holiness is out. Not that these things are all wrong, but praising God is good and happiness in the Lord is good, but a striking melody is even better because, friends, when God is looking for balance in our lives, you know, many of you come from churches where it was all choruses and we're going to leave if there's no hymn sung. Many of you come from churches where if you sang a praise and worship song that you may have heard on the radio, they would boot you out the door before you left the building. It's that quick. But friends, God wants balance in our lives. How do we balance all this stuff and live worship in our lives? Because God wants you to be happy. Did you know that? God does not want you to be as happy as Joel Osteen wants you to be happy in his books. I just want to throw that out there. But God does want you to be as holy as he tells you in his book. But these days, true worship is something difficult for Christians to understand. It really is. But what characterizes true worship? What does that look like, and how are we doing that here today? Our our, our big idea, and if you're new with us, our big idea is just kind of a, a direction, a rifle aim shot where we're sending our sermon. But our big direction, our big idea is this today. We worship not to get right with God, but because he has declared us right with himself in Christ, and we can't help but worship him. That's why we worship. We don't worship to please other people. We don't worship to say, man, he's got his hand up in the air. He must be holier than I am. Or There's some funny videos out there about the hand-raising thing, and I'm not a pro or con on that, but there's just some, some, some Christian satire out there because Christians say, well, if you really wave your hand like this, God's looking at you better. Really? Where did you get that? Friends, when we approach God, we're coming to the only one worthy of our worship. That encompasses our life. That encompasses our prayers. That encompasses everything that we are in our dependence. And that's where we're headed today, Psalm 134. We'll look at three things. We'll see that we can properly worship God through our work, through our praying, and through our 
dependence. And this is the shortest chapter of the Bible. I like to do the short chapters. So if you are trying to memorize a chapter of the Bible, you can impress your friends, okay? They don't need to know it's the shortest. They just need to know you memorized one. But not surprisingly, this is a chapter of, of where it's basically talking about how do you behave properly in worshiping God in your life? How do you do this? What's it look like? What's it not look like? And what we will see today is that God is to be glorified in every aspect of our lives, from our work to our prayers to our dependence. So with that, if you're new to our church, we stand for the reading in honor of God's Word. So if you're able this morning, if you'll join us in standing for God's Word. Uh, the big three verses this morning as we start off worshiping God properly as we look at this next section. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. It's the same version in your pews. Psalm 134. A song of accents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. And there's that phrase, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's go before the Lord as we pray. Father, we once again come before you, dependent on you for every breath. Father, this sermon would be nothing unless your spirit moves through it. So, Lord, may your spirit fill us. May your spirit challenge us. May your spirit convict us. May your spirit comfort us as well, Lord, because that is also an operation of your, uh, your spirit, Father. But Lord, we pray for wisdom this morning as we thank you that we can turn every aspect of our life right with you because it's not about pleasing you for salvation anymore. It's about pleasing you, Lord, to show you how grateful we are that in Christ we have now been made fully, sufficiently, and absolutely complete by the gospel of your Son. Father, help us to do that to your honor and glory this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Psalm 134, just to give you some more context, where you know, a lot of these psalms we'll be talking about over the month of May is what is worship. Uh, these psalms were written by various people. This one, uh, most likely written by David. Most of the psalms we don't know who was written by probably goes back to David. So uh, David is probably the author of this psalm. Uh, many of you have asked for, uh, I've had a couple questions about this actually before we get more into the sermon is, Darren, what commentaries do you like to read through the psalms? Well, I like the old dead guys. Those guys are pretty good. They can't talk back, but they talk to us past the grave. And one of them is Charles Spurgeon's book, um, The Treasury of David. The Treasury of David. You can find it online for free. He takes, and uh, he even has a little phrase at the bottom, and I don't draw much from him, but he has a phrase that says, simple, something like simple reminders for small preachers. And I always go to that section <laughs> because it's good reminders for a small preacher like me. But, you know, it's, it, that's a good place to start. Treasury of David by C.H. Spurgeon. So how do you worship through your work? And how do we get this from the text we're looking at today? Well, the psalm begins, if you look at verse 1 there, it begins with the word bless. Come bless the Lord. And again, at the very end, it ends in verse 3, may, you, may the Lord bless you from Zion. It's used three times in the context. But notice also this worship service isn't just done at 1030 on a Sunday morning. Notice there in verse 1 that worship is even done in the night. Those who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Now, literally, this is applying back to the days of David with the temple and, and, and Solomon and, and all those who would follow in the service of the house of God. But generally, friends, this is about living a life worthy of God anytime, anywhere you are, in any place. And rightly, it's focused on who God is. Rightly, it's focused on who God is. You know, programs will entertain people all day. 
You can have a worship service and program it, and, and people can get so excited for it. But how do you maintain that? Have you ever thought about that? There's an old phrase out there, what you win people to is what you must keep them to. And a lot of churches get so amped up for Sunday morning, and rightfully so. Friends, we don't just celebrate Easter one time a year, right? You are here today because Jesus lives. You are here today because Christ is Lord and Savior. But the one thing this verse tells us right off the bat is that wherever we are, whether it's work, whether it's at home, whether it's in the middle of the night, the middle of the day, whatever it is, everything is to be done through work for the worship of who God is. Because you know the Old Testament. If you've read through that, you know some of you like to skip these sections because they're good bedtime reading. You know, you go through the, the details of this guy stands here and this guy stands here and this guy played the flute for five minutes and this guy did that. And we look at that and we say, how crazy is that? Why would they be so detailed about how they worshiped the Lord? Because friends, they believed that God was glorified and that in every detail of our lives that worship mattered. Do you see that there in the verse? Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. So how do you do this through your work? First thing is you need to know who you are. And so let me ask this question right off the gate. Do you want the praise of people who do not praise what magnifies Christ? You know, a lot of times as we serve the Lord through our work, it is to get a better position. It is to get a better promotion because you know, if I can save this money, then we can buy this, and we can get that, and we can pay off this debt, and friends, please pay off your debt. But sometimes we, we have a wrong motivation for the work that we do. And the servants here would lead God and the people, or lead the people in the worship of God. But now, now, worship is not just done in a temple. Now it is done through the people of God, wherever the people of God are. And most of you will spend most of your life working. How many of y'all are retired in this, the, in this, yeah, a lot of, how many of y'all wish you were retired, amen? That's right, okay. But you know what? We represent God wherever we go, and you spend most of your adult life outside of sleeping, you spend most of your adult life doing what? Working. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, know who you are. Friends, you are, as it says right here, a servant of the Lord. You are a servant of the Most High, you are someone who God has called out to be his own, and therefore you are now not your own. Glorify God with your body. Know who you are. And with that comes knowing that you are not seeking the praise of people. It is so easy as a pastor, let me give full disclosure, it is so easy as a pastor to tickle the ears, say the right things, and to get all the accolades. You pray that we don't serve you out of worship of people, because guess what? As we will disappoint you at times, if we worship you, guess what? Someone else is going to get mad, and they're going to say, well, what about me? Pastor, what about this? What about this? And we want to serve, but pray that we as pastors, Matt, Blake, myself, do not serve to get your praises. We serve to get the praise of God, and that is our ultimate aim. So we need to know who we are, because friends, if we are seeking the praise of people, we have missed what worship is all about. Worship is not about us. It's about who? It's about Christ. It's about God. Second thing, you need to know how to worship properly in your work. You need to know who you are. You need to know what you do. That's why the second thing you'll see up on the screen is, is that the work of God before us is never greater than the power of God within us. Does that make sense? Now, many of you have the, the verse. Let me just break a bubble here. Uh, many of you have the verse, and I've had this too, where it says Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through what? 
Christ who strengthens me. Let me just break the Facebook bubble on this. This does not mean if you have never lifted a thousand pounds that you can go out right now and quote that verse like it's a mantra and lift a thousand pounds. Now, if God wants to give you the strength in that moment to do it, praise the Lord. But this verse, Philippians 4.13, is probably one of the most abused verses. What does it mean in the context? In the context of Philippians 4, if you remember last summer, it means no matter what God throws at you, that you can be content with what you have. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because greater is the power of God in me than the greater of power of God in, in, in God than the greater of power in me. Does that make sense? Day or night, God is there. Circle the globe and he is there. No matter where you are working, no matter where you're at, when he watches over me at night during the day, he's working halfway across the world, he's working right in my world, he's working wherever I am. How do you worship God in your work? Friends, you remember that what is in you is not sufficient, but what is in him is what you need. Some of you are going through situations where if you were to counsel with us, even as pastors, we'd look at you and say, you know what? The Bible has an answer, and it's just simply this. You need to trust the Lord. Some of you are in situations where you don't need another self-help book. You don't need another piece of advice. You need to go on your knees before the Lord and say, God, I worship you because I submit that I can't handle this myself. I have to trust that you're enough. But friends, our service is not just part-time to him. Our service has no temp service. You know, some of you guys... I. My wife, uh, my wife kids me all the time because she, every time we have an expert come to our house to fix another problem Darren did, she says, take notes, take notes, take notes. And you know what? She's right because I need to learn skills and, and hands-on skills it, more than I know. But guys, there is no expert you can call in to serve the places God has called you to work. Some of you, God may be calling to serve in the nursery. We need nursery help. We need someone to rock those cute babies and to change diapers for the glory of God. Amen? Not a lot of amens there, but you think about that. We need people in our church to stand up and just pray. Five o'clock on Sunday nights. Not tonight, it's canceled, but five o'clock next Sunday to pray with us for a prayer meeting. There's no one you can hire to stand in the place of the work God has given you to do. For some of you, that's going to look different. Some of you think that now you're in the last quarter of your life that God's done with you. Please don't let that be the case. God is not done with you until he takes that last breath. Pray to him. Ask him. He will show you what you need to do. There's no temp service for God. You know, uh, there's a survey that just went out recently, and uh, it says, why do I have to go to church? Very interesting survey that came across, and uh, it's a unique survey because it sought to study the way Americans exaggerate their personal attendance patterns. Uh, Researchers used two ways to measure their results. First, they did an online survey. When asked the question, do you think it's important to go to church every week? Over 95% said, yes. And then they followed up with those people. It was a local survey in a city. And they followed up with those people, and they went to their house, and they asked that same question. Do you think it's important to go to church every week? You know what the percentage was? 35% said they think it's important to go to church. And you know what's interesting about that? Sociologists call this a social desirable bias which means we have a desire to exaggerate in order to impress others. Have you ever known someone like that? Some of you who are online, are, you know, as I was dating Natalie, uh, before we started dating, we'd look at these profile pictures of prospective wives, if you will, online dating service, and sometimes you wonder, is that really her? I'm glad my wife was true all the way through, and I'm glad that what I saw was her beautiful face all the way through. Friends, sometimes 
when we talk about serving the Lord, sometimes we get in this competition of saying, you know what? This is what I did for Jesus 20 years ago, 15 years ago, five days ago, this day ago. You know what? As we serve the Lord through worship, it is not about a competition. It is all about Him. It is not about trying to look impressive. It is all about Him. Should you come to church every week, church? Amen, right? There was like 5% on that. Amen? Amen. Friends, even when you are in a culture when people feel less pressure to attend church, you still need to remember that God is glorified by you being here. That is part of your work for Him. Your presence here today, you say, I didn't impact anyone, I didn't talk to anyone. Your presence here today is a witness of someone in your family. Your presence here today is a witness. The work that God has given you is to come to church and be faithful to that. Look, we understand there's vacations, we understand there's sickness, but being a Christian is more than going to church on Sunday. It's going to church every day of your life, Sunday included, and knowing that you are to worship God through every element of your life. That is what it is about in the worship of the Lord. Let's go on to verse 2. So you can worship God through your work, and that's a broad term, but you can also worship God with your prayers. You can worship God with your prayers. Look back at verse 2. He says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord, and bless the Lord. You know, it's often been said that worship today is just to meet felt needs. Many of you have, have been in churches before where it's more about you than it is about Christ. Friends, I pray that we do nothing more here than exalt Jesus Christ. Yes, we're going to be practical, I hope. I hope we get better at that each week. But worship services that are entertainment-focused, that miss what God has called us to do, only build a sandy foundation. And friends, that's why he says here in verse 2, lift up your hands to a holy place and bless the Lord. Notice he doesn't say in this verse, he doesn't say lift up your hands to impress someone else. He doesn't say, lift up your hands to be culturally relevant in a church. He says, lift up your hands to bless the Lord. Jeff Jones, I think I see you back there. You asked in our men's prayer, was this literal or figurative here? Uh, Jeff, I think it's both. I think it's both. Look, if you have to lift your hands to praise the Lord, praise the Lord if you do that. If you have to do that, if that is how you worship the Lord, do it. But friends, know this is that whether you lift your hands, whether you don't lift your hands, whether you're like most manly men and you kind of do this awkward thing where you stand like, you know, you get one thing on the hip. You know, look around during worship service. You'll notice this. You know, some guys are like this all the time. Some guys just don't know what to do. They put their... Whatever you do, what matters most, friends, is that your heart is right before the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. And how do you do that? You do this through your prayers, you're first to honor him in your actions through your prayers. Because as you are worshiping, whether you are at work, whether you're here in this worship service, you are to have an attitude of prayer about you. Many of you know that great verse, 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. another short verse. It says, pray at all times. Pray continually. What does that mean? Does that mean you're always on your knees before the Lord and you have to have a prayer time? No. It means as you go, pray. Where you are going, Pray. If you don't have but 20 seconds to say, Lord, I have no idea what to tell this person, then that's what you pray. Or you get that phone call late at night and you say, Lord, I have no idea how to respond to this situation. Pray. That's how you worship the Lord. Look, this lifting of hands here does mean worship, but I think in the context of the Psalms, this lifting of the hands is referring to prayer itself. And you know what? You can invite most Christians to most things, but do you know that the hardest thing to get Christians to admit their need in is prayer? Father's here today. It's not Father's Day, so I get to pick on the fathers, right, mothers? 
Amen? That's right. Fathers, you are to be the biggest prayer, prayer in your family. That's a hard task. Over your kids, over your wife, if you're blessed with a wife, over your family. Grandfathers, you're to be praying over your, your grandchildren. Many of you are so faithful in that. Keep doing it. Mothers, can I encourage you today to keep praying over your kids and keep praying over your family and to keep praying over that wayward son or daughter who doesn't seem to come back when you share the gospel with them. Pray for them. Pray for them. So what does this mean for us today? First thing you're going to see up on the screen is this. Friends, obedience is an act of thankful worship, not a fearful means of trying to gain favor with God. As you pray, as you come before the Lord and you lift your hands to pray, or if you're a pocket guy and you pray, whatever it is, your prayers are out of obedience, out of a thankful heart. Sometimes when you enter your prayer closet, whatever that means for you, whether that's a location in a park, whether that's in your car on the way to work, as you come before the Lord, sometimes your prayers are so hard to get out that you have to remember that you get to pray. You know, sometimes we get in this mode of saying, Lord, I I have to do this. You know, to be a good Christian, I have to pray. I have to study. I have to worship. I have to fill in the blank. What if you were to reverse that on its head? And you were to do as the psalmist says and lift up your holy hands and say, Lord, I get the chance to pray today. Thank the Lord. I get the chance, the honor, the privilege to pray right here, right now for this person. Can I encourage you to do something? How many of y'all have ever said that phrase, I will pray for you? Be honest. And how many of y'all have forgotten to pray for that person that you said you would pray for? Thank you for being honest. It's hard, isn't it? Friends, when we remember what it means to pray, and to worship God through our prayers, we will remember that sometimes the best prayer we can have for that person is right there, right then on the spot. I would challenge you to do that the next time someone brings a prayer request to you. It's hard. It's very hard. It's awkward. You're talking about these great details, and you have to make that transition to, let's pray. And it, it's, it's a weird feeling at first, because I know, because I've been there and doing that. But friends, that is what lifting your whole hands means. No matter what section you're in, No matter where you're at, pray. No matter where you're going, pray. Pray. Worship through your prayers. That's what lifting hands is all about. Look, if lifting up a hands is, if you raise your hands when you worship, why do you do it? If you don't worship your hand, raise your hands, why don't you do it? I pray that through all these things, your heart is set on this, that God, whether I lift my hands in prayer, in worship, whether I don't, that you are the one that is honored and glorified. That is what worship is all about. That is what worship is all about. And that's why the second application point is this from the short little verse, I think. There's so much that can be said here. But just as it's one thing to say your prayers and another thing to pray, It's one thing to attend worship and another thing to worship. That's why he says here in the verse, he says, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. If your prayers have just become like your laundry list at Walmart, friends, you need to check your prayer life. If your prayers have just become so focused on what is in front of you, you may need to check the temperature on your gauge if you're praying. Because how are we to pray? There's so much to pray for. You know, I know there's a lot going around Facebook, and this is not the time or the place of, to talk politics, and we, we cannot, publicly or otherwise, legally or otherwise, in, in a specific sense. But I, I pray that most of you know that in this time in our country, right now, the time is to pray, isn't it? Friends, we need more prayer. The Bible says to pray for kings and those in authority. The Bible says to pray for your family. The Bible says to pray for those who have 
uh, leadership in your life. The Bible says to pray for the nations. Maybe this week your prayers need to be, Lord, I lift up my hands and just say, Lord, I pray for the nations. I pray for those people groups that don't know you around the world. But friends, one thing that I think we can take from this is that no matter where you are, are you worshiping God through your prayers? You say, Darren, I thought the verse was about lifting your hands in worship. Yes and no. The first lifting should come in your heart as you remember what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. That is where worship starts. You know, some of you are, uh, I think, uh, I, Steve, I see you here. Or Steve, you're, you guys work in tax, Steve and Bonnie. Uh, you guys love the IRS. I know you guys work with them a lot. But this is an interesting survey that came out recently. The IRS does an annual survey where they take the number of hang-ups that happened during tax season. Do you know what the number of hang-ups that happened on the IRS line this last year was? Just take a guess. Anybody? 17 million. How about 8 point? That's a lot. How about 8.8 million hang-ups? Now, here's the catch. This was not from people hanging up on the IRS. This was from the IRS hanging up on people. Read into that. They called it a courtesy disconnect in their internal review, according to this survey. I don't know if that's a courtesy disconnect, but when you see that the average waiting time was 33 minutes, you might appreciate a courtesy disconnect. I don't know. They blamed it on budget cuts, and that was how they got it. Friends, aren't you glad as you worship God that he never gives you a courtesy disconnect? Aren't you glad? Aren't you so grateful? Some of you feel like this lady on your smartphone, and that's how you feel. So grateful that as we worship the Lord, as we lift our hands in prayer, we lift our hands in worship, that God doesn't just say no. Now, friends, there may be sin in your life that you need to confess and you need to take to him. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God accepts our worship, even imperfect as it is. What a great God he is. Amen. Great, great God. Let's end on this. We worship God through our work, anywhere, everywhere. We worship God with our prayers. That's what that phrase means there. And we also worship the Lord with dependence, with dependence. Look back at verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, that's heaven, he who made heaven and earth. It's a very short point, but Psalm 134 closes briefly but clearly and highlights the two attributes of the great God, doesn't he? He notes in verse 1 and 2 that we're to bless him. And, and, and who is this that we're supposed to bless? Well, first off, you see there, we're to acknowledge God in our dependence as creator, as creator. If we can beat this drum, as long as the Lord has us here, many years I hope, that you are not just a random mass that came together. Friends, you have purpose. You have purpose. You know, uh, there's a lot of science here, but they, they've just come out in a secular uh, scientific magazine that when uh, conception happens, there's a flash of light that happens within the female body. So much for conception not happening until three months after, or, or human life starting until three months after. Friends, God is the author of all things, and he is the creator of all things. Sometimes, Christian, that means that you have to worship him through some hard times. Does God create the calamity in your life? Does he, is he the one that throws the storm at you sometimes, friends? I'm here to tell you that sometimes, all times, being sovereign God, yes, he is. So how does that work? Friends, let's acknowledge the facts. We live in a sin-filled world, don't we? Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn is marred in sin. But God is sovereign, and God has to be the one. He's not the author of sin, but God does give the permission for things sometimes to come in your life. So, Darren, what's the example of that? Well, go back to the book of Job. We'll read that. 
Go look at Job. If you remember the story, what happens to him? Within a matter of hours, perhaps even minutes, he loses his house, he loses his kids, he loses his riches, he loses his livestock. And then his wife says, go off and, and, and just get rid of your life, Joe, because everything's bad from there. Sometimes God brings testing in your life so that you can learn to worship through him through dependence. Christian, here today, this is the first subpoint. In stresses of pain and trouble, times of all those things, what or who you really worship comes to the surface, doesn't it? I can remember as we just uh, finished up some work in our house, as we got getting through the soot problem, um, you know, I can remember the first thing, uh, just being mad, being mad at myself. I can just remember that, just be vividly mad at myself. How dumb could you be to not put the filter in? We've gone through this a million times, right? I've rolled it over millions of times in my head, and my wife said, bless her heart, she said, let's just pray. My mind was so far, how much is this going to cost? How are we going to get our kids to bed? What are we going to eat for dinner? You know, all this stuff, you know, that rolls through your heads in times of stress. And some of you have been there. You know, you've had those moments when you know better, but you don't live it better. Does that make sense? And friends, who or what we worship comes out in times of stress. And we have to remember that God here is the creator. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. There is nothing that you're facing right now in your life that the God of heaven and earth cannot take away if he so chooses in his sovereign will. What a great thing. But what if God doesn't take it away? What if God leaves it like Paul, the thorn in the flesh? He, Paul prayed three times, 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. This is not to de-minimize or anything else going on in your life today, but it is to remind you, Christian, that God may put you through the ringer sometimes so that what comes out on the other side is a beautiful person made in the likeness and conformed to Jesus Christ. That may be what it is. That doesn't preach well in most churches, I know, but that is the honest truth of Scripture. You are to worship God in your dependence as Creator. You are also to worship Him as King. Notice there the verse, it says, May the Lord bless you from Zion. We, friends, Zion here is, is, is heaven. It's basically where God dwells. And this is looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ returns, that we are to worship him for dependence. Look, many of you have prayed that prayer, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Friends, he'll come on his own timetable. Don't try and place a date and time and stamp on him. But one thing that I do know is this, is that he is king now, he is king then, and he is king forevermore, even if he is not yet here on this earth. You know, theonion.com, I don't recommend this pulpit, it's a secular thing, but they did a, a satire this last week, and they, they said that Jesus came back to test the waters. And the, the article went on to say that Jesus had come back to ask a few people, are you ready for me to come back? And it's, it's fake, it's, it's a fake article, but the the, the writer wrote in there that some people had said, yeah, Jesus, we're not sure we want you to come back yet. We're having too much fun down here. And it went on to say, it was poking fun at Christians, basically saying, we want Jesus to come, but we love the world so much, we're not sure we're ready for him to come yet. Friends, is Jesus king over every area of your life? Wherever you go, whatever you do, is he king over every area of your life? He's the one that's coming again. That's why the last subpoint is this. We worship the God who is, not the God we think we want. Boy, that didn't work out too well for Aaron and the calf, did it? 
You guys remember that story? Moses goes up on the, the mountain, and what happens? Well, he's not coming back. Let's make a big calf. And then they worship the calf. Friends, remember that your God is worthy of all your worship. He's worthy of everything in your life. That's why at this church we pray that you don't just get an experience, that you get the experience of what God is doing in your life. There's nothing better than walking out of church knowing that God spoke to you. Amen? That is our prayer each week. That is our prayer each week. Let me end with this story. The Church of the Nativity, which is in Bethlehem, looks like this. You'll see it up there on the screen. And it was built in the 3rd century or 3rd or 4th century. And basically at the time that they built it, the doors were big and they wanted people to come in. But when the Crusades happened, the Muslims uh, and others who were fighting the Christians at that time, that's a whole other sermon, they broke down the doors. They kept breaking into this church and trashing it, breaking in and trashing it. So they'd rebuild the doors, break in and trash, rebuild the doors, break in and trash, rebuild the doors. So the Christians got a little mad about this. Properties team was a little mad because the budget didn't cover all those doors. And the issue was resolved by making a door so small that all who had to enter it had to come on their knees. Think about that for a second. No one could just break down the door. They had to go in in full armored garb, which back in that time meant if you fell off your horse, you're pretty much dead because it weighed so much. You had almost 120 pounds of armor on you. So they made that door so small that when you entered this church, you had to do so on your knees. There had to be dependence. Christians, sometimes I think we break down those doors in our lives. God, I don't like this. Boom. God, I don't like this. Boom. God, I prayed for this. You gave me this. Boom. And what God's going to do some days in our lives, he's going to make a door so small that the only way we can come before him is to get on our knees, be humble, say, Lord, you are the one I must depend on, and go into that, that area. Does that make sense? Christian, are you worshiping him today as he told you to? Sometimes God breaks our legs so when we fall on our knees, we're only in complete dependence on him. Only complete dependence. Are you trusting him today? Let's pray. Father, there's so much that can be said. I've said that a few times in these last psalms. There's so much, Lord. So, so much. But Father, as we come to the time of the Lord's Supper, as we partake, I just pray as we worship you, it's not just, Lord, remind us, it's not just about a service, though it is, to be faithful in church, but Lord, it's worshiping you through our work all day, every day. It's worshiping you through our prayers as we lift our hands, figuratively or literally, Lord. We give our everything to you through prayer. And thirdly, Lord, we worship you properly through going through on our knees in dependence. Father, maybe we need to be humbled today. Maybe in our families we need to be humbled. We need to be reminded that you are sovereign and we are not. Father, maybe today we need to be reminded that you are the great God of Scripture and we are not. Father, I don't know. But Father, I thank you that your strength and your, your grace is enough, that Father, you'll never give us anything more than we can handle, and that's so true because you are the one that ultimately takes it all. Father, thank you for this time. As we come in the Lord's Supper, we pray that you are honored, glorified, and blessed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.